Okay, grab your Bibles this morning. It's the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1. We start at verse 13 in just a moment. And so I want to talk to you about this idea of, well, this idea of are you prepared? That's the idea for the teaching today. I want to say before I begin, thank you for all of those that have asked me about and my absence last week about my father and where we are in that process. And my father is still processing out of this world to the next. And it is a process at times in our lives. And I just ask you to pray for him and, and to pray for us through this. But thank you for your concern and also your many words of encouragement through this process too. He's with us, but you know, in the Lord's time, right? God knows he's sovereign in control of all things. So are you prepared? So turn to the person next to you and say good morning to them for a moment. Got to get things casual here, loosen up, are you? And then ask him this question, are you prepared? Say that to them, are you prepared? And they're wondering for what, right? Well, maybe they're thinking you're asking them to lunch, correct? Yes, or, or something like that. And I think it's a valid question when you ask that, what are you prepared? What are you prepared for? It's huge. Well, let me tell you a little bit about myself and, and who I am in this area, that I like to be prepared, sometimes in a very um, obsessive manner at times. You could ask my wife, my family about these things also. They would bear them to be true, that I, I, I like to be prepared. When we go on a trip, and even if I have a newer car or a new car, that I always pack tools in my car so I can work on a car that I know nothing about, right? I, I have no idea, but I feel prepared having that. If I bought a new battery before I went on a trip, then I always would pack a set of what? Jumper cables, because you just don't know, even though you have a brand new battery. I like to be prepared. For this time on Sundays, I, I like to be prepared when I get up in the mornings. So Sunday mornings, my routine is kind of like this. I get up at 5 a.m., and but Sunday night or Saturday night, what I do is I lay everything that I need for Sunday morning. I lay out all my clothes, my belt, my shoes, my socks. And I have my favorite socks on today. And it has a picture of my granddaughters on it. I don't know if you can see that or not. Oh, isn't that precious? Yes. Yeah. And uh, just let me know. You can borrow them sometimes. So here's the thing, right? And, and so I get everything together. And then I lay out all of my toiletry items. I lay out my razor, my shaving cream, all that stuff that I use. I lay all that out. And I get it all ready so that all I have to do is get in the shower, get out. And everything is lined up and ready to go. You say, Mark, you need help. I, I know. I realize that, right? But yet I just like to be prepared. A few years ago when we were living in North Carolina... We live 35 miles from the beach, which is, which is a lot of fun, right? And so we live 35 miles from the beach. So we decided that one week that we would go to the beach for a few days. But we decided we would do it very different than what you normally do. We decided we would go to the beach and that we would not go with any reservations at any hotel. And we would just kind of find something when we got there. So on the way to the beach, we, we, bought, we stopped by and got one of those coupon books, you know, where we could find those deals. Well, we, our, our planning was not perfect, truly in God's will. It was not. And so when we got there, well, we realized that there was something else going on. And a lot of the rooms were taking place, are taken up. And so we went from hotel to hotel, tried to finding something. So all of a sudden, what tended to be an adventure turned into being like the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. It really did. And we were highly frustrated because, you know, it pays to be prepared for something. It really does. In this book of 1 Peter, Peter calls us exiles. But he doesn't just call us exiles. That's important that we get this straight. He calls us elect exiles. And that's important because it's not just who he's writing to, but it's really who we are. 
that we did not choose God, God chose us. Because anything outside of that would be our works. And so we know that we are saved by faith through grace, not by works, so that lovingly God chose all of us in this room. He did. And so what we realize is that it's not just who he's writing to, it's who we are. And as exiles, we find ourselves on a journey in a world, elect exiles on a journey in a world, that a world, a world that can be very hostile to our faith system, can be very hostile to the things that you would say the Bible would teach and direct you for your life. So my question then again is, do you have adequate internal resources in your life? I think that's a huge question. Do you have adequate internal resources within your life? Because this conversation today from 1 Peter is going to far exceed, I think, you know, just temporal physical things. Because what Peter is going to deal with, he's going to deal with my heart and he's going to deal with your heart. And how are you prepared as these elect exiles to go out into a world that sometimes is hostile to your faith? Are you prepared for the hostility of the world as an elect exile? Now, let me tell you contextually what we're talking about. That when we talk about hostility when it comes to First Peter, it wasn't that these Christians were being simply, well, pulled out of their homes, their churches, taken into the middle of the street and beaten or, or crucified for their faith. It's not that at all. In fact, historically and contextually, what we realize is that they were being denied employment. They were being denied community involvement. They were being denied relationships with their neighbors. They were treated very differently because of their faith. And so I think that in light of that, it's very connective for you and I. And so in those first 12 verses of this chapter, chapter 1 of 1 Peter, it's what we would call the indictive mode that Peter writes in. So what he's saying to you and I is this, that we are exiles, elect exiles, chosen by God, that we realize that this is the situation that we find ourselves in. And now he moves in these next verses, starting at verse 13, to how we live in this life. How do we live in this life as being, as being exiles? How do we face the hostility that we have faced? Or how do we face the hostility that we're going to face in living in this life in, in light of our faith in what God has called us to do? Yes. And so he says, wait a minute. Before you go any further, before we talk about being an exile, you have to understand something. And when I realize what he wants you and I to understand, it's how he started this chapter out. He starts this chapter out talking about things like grace and mercy. He starts talking about things like that of being born again to a living faith. He starts talking about things like heaven. And he starts talking about moments and things like, well, just those things that we would all connect to the gospel. And what I realize that Paul, uh, Peter is saying to you and I is this. That before I really understand what it's like to live as an exile in a world that can be hostile to my faith, I have to have a real good firm understanding of what the gospel is. I wrote in my journal this week that the gospel is the clay in which, from which my identity is molded. It is the gospel. It's what God has done within my life. It's what God has done for me, which I didn't deserve any of that. And I could have never repaid or merited anything that Christ did in my life. But it's what he's done in my life that molds my identity. It sets who I am. And if I am going to be the exile that God designed for me to be in a world that sometimes is hostile to my faith, I have to know who I am. That's what he's saying. 
And I know who I am through the gospel and what God has done in my life. It is the gospel that gives me identity. So what I realize is that I first have to hear the great things that God has done for me through his grace in my life. And then I'm able to respond to that. And I respond to that understanding of who I am in the gospel with obedience. The latter, which is obedience, is not possible until I understand the former and I built on the former. That's what I realize. It's like a relationship. It's like the relationship I have with Reba. That how can I be the godly husband that God has designed for me to be unless I understand the building blocks of marriage and what that looks like. So I know that I'm supposed to love her and care for her. But what's the building block behind that? And it's Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's the building block behind that. So I understand why I'm to have that behavior within my life. I do. What I realize is also in this relationship that I am to, we're to submit to one another, you know, each other uh, mutually. And, And why, how do I do that? What's the block behind that? Well, that Jesus submits to the cross for you and I. That what I realize that, uh, again, I'm to serve her. Well, there has to be something behind that. It's that Christ served us through the incarnation. And so I understand that so that enables me in my behavior and character to be the husband that God has designed for me to be. Very imperfect, I might add. Okay, let's put that in there. Very imperfect. Still learning all of these things after 42 years. But he said, wait. Don't venture out as an elect exile to live out your faith in the sight of everyone around you unless you have a good understanding of the gospel. And so now that Peter establishes who we are and why we are who we are, he says, so this is how it's done, is what he says. Can I tell you something kind of like a nutshell for a moment that sort of will give you sign of an understanding of where we're headed this morning? He's challenged us to live in the world, not hide from the world. Ah, and sometimes Christians are really great at hiding from the world. He's, he's challenged us to live in the world, not hide from the world, is what he's challenged To live at our faith, to live at our faith in an environment that sometimes is hostile. Because what I realize about myself and my experience with Christ is this, my salvation may be private. I guess that moment when I came to Christ, and, or he chose me, may be private. But what I realize is my faith is extremely public. My faith is designed to be extremely public. That I was not called to hide from the world, but yet to live in the middle of the world. And that is very public. And that is what he is going to teach us this morning. So it's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. He says this, therefore. Now let me tell you, when you hear the word therefore, here's what it means. It means to listen because you're about to hear a command. Is what it means. This is not a suggestion for my life and your life. But this is a command, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is about setting your hope. So here is the thought. Because you have to understand the hope that you and I live in, which gives us the foundation to live our life boldly for God in a world that's hostile. That the foundation of my hope is the gospel. The foundation of my hope in this life is the gospel is what God has done for me. The object of my hope that he just introduces to us in this text is that of the return of Christ, that he will come back and he will make everything right. So let me, 
Use your imagination, okay? Because you, you have imaginations. The Bible is written so we can use our imagination, not add to, but use our imagination. So this is the hope that we have in God because of what God has done for us. So Mark, that's your stool. Use your imagination. This is this. This is the foundation of our hope. It's the gospel. It's what God has done through his son Jesus in my life. But then also here, Peter introduces another hope to you and I. And that is, it's the hope of Christ's imminent return. This table, imagination again. So all of a sudden, I have the hope of what God has done in my life. And then I have the hope of what God is going to do in my life. So where do I live in all of this, right? That's the huge question. Where am I in all of this hope? And here's why I'm going to, this is where I am. I'm right here in the middle of the two. I'm living in the middle of that, of what God has done in my life and what God is going to do in my life. And I find myself in the middle of that. So what Peter is going to teach us today is this. What do I do here in this space? Because I do have a responsibility here. I do have a purpose in the middle of all of this. And that's really difficult for some time for some Christians to really understand. So he says, therefore, you're living in this living hope founded on the gospel. You have this object of your hope, which is that of the coming of Christ. So he says, live this way. Mark, is this going to be about you telling me how to live? Yeah, it is. It is, yeah. It, re- it really is. Let's solicit some help from the Apostle Paul for a moment in Romans 12 and 1. Here's what he says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, which is the reasonable thing for you to do, is what he says, in light of what God has done for you. But then what he says to us in verse 2 is powerful. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world, he says. Oh, We started this conversation last week in chapter 1 about that you and I having this living hope. He says in verse 3 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter, Blessed be the God of our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so we live in the middle of this promise. This is powerful. It is. To live by hope in the middle of what God has done for us and what God is going to do for us, to live by hope, we should derive some purpose and some goal for our lives. That we're just not here to hang out until Jesus returns. That's what I'm trying to say to you. There's something more about how we live in this life than just us waiting for Christ to return. There's nothing wrong with waiting with anticipation. We're going to talk about that because that's what I hope is about, is about anticipation. But there has to be something more to this. There has to be some purpose in our lives while we live this way. And so I ask myself, then, then what, what is hope? And what I realize is hope is a conviction that something better is going to happen tomorrow is what it is. But I got stuck on this word conviction because the word conviction is based not on something that we we think will happen in the future. The word conviction is based on a fact that something has already happened within our life or for our lives. And that conviction that you and I have today is the gospel and what God has done for us. So what I find myself doing is I find myself living between what God has done for me in my life 
That is the foundation of my hope. The object of my hope is what God is going to do in the future of my life. So what do I do here? And here's where it gets kind of wonky. You like that word wonky? I like the word wonky, right? Here's where it gets wonky for us sometimes, right? That if we're living here and what Christ has done for us, and we're not balancing between that of our other hope in our life, and we're just living here of that of our salvation, our redemption, and that, that we are saved by his grace in our life, that if we're just living here, and that is all good stuff, and absolutely we can't separate ourselves from that, then, and, and we're not focused on that of what he's going to do in our future, we lack anticipation. We do. We lack anticipation in our lives. What does anticipation do for us? Oh, it gives us energy. It, it makes us do things in our lives. It does. Think about if tomorrow somebody's going to come visit you and you haven't seen them in a long time, but you're super excited about them coming to your house, then what does that make you do? You're, you're, it's anticipation. So you do things, right? What do you, yeah, you clean the house. You haven't cleaned the house in weeks, right? You clean the house. You take your dog to the groomer. You don't want him to come in the house and think that you have a lion roaming around the house, right? You even get your dog a bath. Yes, yes, you do things that, well, maybe you haven't done. You mow the grass. You do things like that. Why? Because it's anticipation. What does anticipation do? Anticipation simply makes you want to do things. If you're constantly just here alone and not simply thinking about that of the coming of Christ, then you lack the anticipation. But what if I'm over here? What if I'm over here all the time? This is, I think there are more Christians here, right? Oh, we're just hanging out until Jesus comes. And hey, whatever's going to happen to the world happens to the world. And all of a sudden, I neglect my responsibility for where I'm living, for my neighbor, for people around me, for those that are sitting next to you this morning. I'm neglecting all that because, you know, all I want to do is get through this life and make it to heaven. Boom, that's it. And when I get there, I'm going to forget about all this stuff in this world and everything is good. And that's just the way I'm going to live my life. And I find that, oh, a lot of people live right here. And they, what they don't realize well, they've never read First Peter. Because what First Peter tells us is I have a responsibility here. In the middle of all of this hope in my life, I have a responsibility. So there's nothing passive about my purpose. That's what you hear. There's nothing passive about my purpose as I live in the tension of these two hopes within my life. And so Peter says, okay, here's how you live. And so he starts out in this verse 13. And he said this, preparing your mind for action. That's what he says. Preparing your minds for action. And I thought, what does that mean? So I begin to look it up. And what that means is a Greek phrase. And it simply means this, roll up your sleeves and get down to hard work. That's exactly what that means. I love it, right? Roll up your sleeves and get down, or, or get down to hard work is what he says. Yes, here's what he's saying. That in this world, that's going to not always agree with my faith system. In this world, that is not always going to stand with me when I take a biblical stand upon something. In this world, it's going to be hostile to my faith, and it will be because you are in exile in this world to realize this powerful thing that my life is to be different. My life is to be different. Wow. And I know that 
you know, if I put this in book form, it's not going to sell, right? I mean, who wants to know, who wants to sit here and be told that I have to really live a different way than the world lives? I don't want to hear that. But I, what, what Peter is teaching us is I, my life has to be different. My focus in life is different. My values are different. My priorities in this world are different than everyone else around me. And when I use the word world, I'm not talking about the planet Earth. But I'm talking about the spirit that's in the world that is contrary to the spirit of God. That those things that would pull you away from scripture, from prayer, those things would pull you away from living for God in those characteristics that we know God gives us. And that's what I'm talking about. And so what I realize is this, that my life is going to be different. And when it is different, it is difficult. That's why Peter says it's time to roll up your sleeves and get down to some hard work. Dude, I, I, I want the, the, the really easy Christian life. Mark, what are you trying to do? Talk people out of God? Is that what you're trying? Is that your goal? No, I'm just being very transparent and honest with you. Because when you set out to live in this world, when your life is different for a reason now, wait a minute, and we'll talk about that because he talks about that in just a moment. Your life is different for a reason. Not just so that Man, I'm better than you. Or, man, I'm glad I don't do those things anymore. All, not, not that at all. But when your life is different for a reason, truly like rolling up your sleeves and getting down to hard work. Because it's not easy. Because my flesh and my desires you know, and my humanity, I want to go along with everything. And I just want to be like everybody else. And the reality is, Peter's saying, wait, you're different because you're in exile. And then he says, be sober-minded. So, Mark, now this is a sermon on alcohol, right? Is that what you're going to talk about, right? So you're bracing yourself. No, no, here's the thought that when he talks about this, he's talking about self-control. He's talking about that in this life, I, I remain in control of my faculties, so to speak. That my mind is not fogged with all the things that the world throws against me. That I remain sharp in my mind, spiritually and prompt. I'm making good decisions according to the Bible. I see things in this world for what they really are. And what I realize is, living in the same world you're doing, sometimes things are not as they appear. Yeah. It's deceit. Sometimes I just don't want to see them like they are. But things are not always like they appear in life. And he says, here, you live differently. That you live in touch with the world, but your life is different. You don't close your eyes to things around you, but you live in the light of the hope that God has given you, and you live different. Let me read this text to you from, again, First Peter, jumping over to chapter 4 for a moment. Here's what he says. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles wanted to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, orgies uh, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised. Look at what this says. They are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. Well, there you go. Let's pray and go home and just let that one cook for a while, right? Yes. Wait a minute. Does this mean that if, if I live a different life to make Christ known through my life to others, then, then they're gonna, I'm going to be maligned? Is that what you're saying, Mark? 
Yes, that's exactly what Peter is saying to you and I this morning. That this is about rolling up our sleeves for the hard work in our Christian life. That we're exiles. So our lives should look different in this world. And that's not easy work. So here's what he says. He says again, 1 Peter chapter 1, this time verse 14. You think those words were tough? Hang on. Buckle up. Put your spiritual seatbelt on. It's about to get rocky for a moment. He says, as obedient children. Can I stop there for a moment? Why doesn't God call us adults? Have you ever wondered? He calls us kids. Well, he's the father, right? I understand that. But I still, I have adult kids and I don't necessarily call them children. Why? Because I think it relates more to our behavior than it does our age. Now I have offended you, have I not? Yes, yes, it's true. Uh, I, and I'm, I'm there with you. That, so he talks about that of obedience. And he talks about that of children because that's the way we act sometimes. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. How to live as exiles. How do we live as exiles? And he starts out to say to live as obedient children. It's the way I see God. It's the way I see the father. That I see the father as I'm his child. And and I see the father as loving and caring. And because he is loving and caring, then my response to that of a loving and caring father is obedience. Just like your children obey you all the time, right? Yes. No. He he knows us, doesn't he? Yes. If I, I should take a poll right now, see how many would lie right in the middle of church. No. He knows us. That's why he calls us kids. Next week, he calls us infants. Hang on, it gets worse. It really does. Yes. And, and so he calls us children. So I, I respond in obedience to his love and care for me because I'm his child. As an obedient child, I no longer do the things that I used to do. And I know your mind immediately goes to, well, I don't do those sins in my life anymore. And, and I'm thankful for that. But Peter's talking about something even deeper in your life. He's talking about your focus. He's talking about your priorities. He's talking about what you value in your life in relation to the purpose that God has called you to. And he says there has to be some change within your life is what he's saying. Verse 15. It gets worse. Don't you love it? It gets worse. But as he who has called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct. Wait, Mark, deduct that from that text. You know, take that out. I don't. I don't. I. I don't understand. Since it is written, "You shall be holy," for I am holy. And I thought a long time. What is God doing? Is He challenging us to something that we could never ever accomplish in this life? Is that what this is? Is that what this is about? Is some mean and cruel game with God? No, here's this thing. And you have to understand this before we could ever leave this morning. It's this. The holiness of God is both that of the pattern for holiness for my life. And it's the reason for holiness in my life. That I respond to his care and his goodness with obedience because he loves me. Not because I'm afraid of him. Not because that, that I, I, I necessarily do it out of fear or he is some punitive God in my life. But I do that because of who he is. And so the reality is I seek holiness in my life because of who he is. And that is he is holy. And that, that makes it all different for you and I. It really does. Because what I understand is this seeking for these, this holiness in my life is truly about God. It's about his work in my life. It's about my sanctification. It's about that process of my life. 
When I talk about holiness, some of you, your minds revert back to your, your religious backgrounds, right? You do. For some of you that, that have come out of a legalistic background and God has set you free from that, and I'm thankful for that, to realize that this is not about you earning things from God that God has already freely given to you, then, then I'm so thankful for that in your life. But all of a sudden, when I mention these words, then all of a sudden your mind goes back to that. A time when you were told that really your holiness was about, well, how long your hair was or about the way you dressed or those kinds of things within your life and you had to look like everybody else. And so all of a sudden we begin looking like, like we're all clones of each other, right? And those kinds of things. And what Paul does, he sets, or Peter sets us free from all of that when he talk, says that the reason that you're holy is because God is holy. It's about him. It's about him working within my life. It's why he started out this chapter with the gospel. Peter would be in trouble himself. Remember Peter? Remember his lifestyle? Remember, you know, he had a habit of not telling the truth, of denying Jesus, all those kinds of things, of losing his temper, always wanting to chop somebody up with a sword. Remember Peter? Peter would be in trouble if he had not started out this chapter in the right way, and he starts it out with the gospel, because the reality is that's the foundation of my hope. So it's not within me and my own self. It's not with me trying to do more or be perfect within my life, but in light of the gospel and what God does within my life, that yes, God designs and desires for me to be holy. Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one else will see the Lord, that it is mandatory. Holiness expresses the essential character of God, that he is pure and he is truth and he is sincere and he is loving and he is He is about righteousness. And it's a pattern for our lives as obedient children. And we respond to that out of his love for us. Not that we have to make a payment to him or we have to earn that from him. But we respond to him in love. It's a pattern for a lifestyle of my life. And it's the reason for my lifestyle. Wow. When, when we embarked on this study with you for First Peter, can I tell you, we knew these verses were here, all right? They didn't surprise us like, oh man, I forgot that was in there. We should have gone somewhere else, right? We should have done another book. No, we knew these were here. Why? Because all of us need to hear them. We all need to be challenged in this area of what we do in this space between that of the foundation of our hope, of the gospel of what God has done for us, and that of the object of our hope and that is Christ returning. We need to realize that we have purpose here, that God has placed us here with powerful purpose, and our purpose is not passive in this area. Our purpose is simply to make Christ known. Our purpose is that we have this privilege for you and I to exhibit purity, and we have this privilege to exhibit truth and sincerity and love and righteousness, that we love our neighbor as ourselves in the middle of all of this, that we love those that are difficult to love, that we extend the hand to those that somehow have sometimes smacked our own hands, and, and we, but we continue to extend a hand to them. We continue to love the world as Christ would love the world because we want God to be seen through our lives. Understand that that's why he calls us to be holy, because we have a purpose right here in this place within our lives now. 
now. This moment. That my life does look different for a reason and a purpose. So I have three questions for you before I read the last text today. And we roll up our sleeves for some hard work. I have three questions for you. The first is this. Does my, and you can ask yourself this. Does my life testify to my faith in God? I wrote these in my journal. You have what I wrote. My answers are private, okay? (laughs) So you can't see that. But what are, does my life testify to my faith in God? That's huge. That is. The second question is this. Is it a witness to the gospel? Is my life a witness to the gospel? Is it? Am I just hiding out until Jesus comes? Is that what I'm doing? Am I over here just saying, hey, I have no responsibility to my neighbor because, you know, God's going to check me out at some point, whether by death or his second return, and I'm in heaven and I'm all good? Am Am I there? Am I over here living with no kind of anticipation or excitement in my life? And, and it's, it's just kind of dry for me in my spiritual experience. So is my life a witness to the gospel? And the third question is this. Is it an incentive for others to follow Christ? Is my life an incentive for others to follow Christ? Wow. I have to go back to what I said before because I had to leave this with you before I leave the, read the last text. This is not about legalism. It's not about you working your way to God. I have to say that again so you hear that perfectly. That's why Peter starts his talk with us with the gospel. Because this is about God working in our lives in a way that we didn't deserve whatsoever. Because legalism always starts with us and legalism always ends with hopelessness. This starts with God. This ends with massive hope for our lives. So 1 Peter 1 verse 17 says this and I finish with this text. He says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times and I underline this part. This is one of the most exciting things I read thus far in First Peter. For the sake of you, he says. For the sake of you. Who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him life so that your faith and hope are in God. And what I draw, I, I draw so many things from that. But what I really draw from that is live like it matters because it does. And I think that that's what Peter is saying to you and I. That we truly live like it matters because it does matter. It matters how I treat my neighbor. It matters how I love on you. It matters how I, how, when I see you in need that I care for you and I take care of you. It does matter how I live my life. And there is a purpose for my life in the middle of this hope. And I want to tell you, my only purpose is not to be a good husband or, or a good father. And, and I hope that I am to the very best of how God works through me. And my only hope is, or my only purpose is not to be the best employee. But there's more to it than that. My purpose is that Christ is being seen through my life in all those areas. That's it. 
That Christ is being seen through my life, through how I treat Reba and how I care for my sons and my daughter-in-laws and my grandchildren. That, that Christ is seen through me as to how I conduct myself here. That Christ is seen through me in how I conduct myself when that I'm loving someone is difficult to love. That I, that I roll up my sleeves and I get down to the hard work. That as God is holy, that he has called me to be holy. To have those characteristics of truth and purity and faithfulness and love. Not so that people will somehow want to say, I want to be like you. That's not at all. But please, to be like the Christ that lives through my life and your life. It doesn't matter how you conduct your business. It does. Can I get even personal? It matters how you fill out your tax forms. Now you're offended, yeah? It matters how you keep the law of the land. It matters. It matters if you're giving your employer what he's paying you for or your constant goal in life is to somehow cheat them out of hours. It matters. It matters. It matters that you practice purity on your phone or your computer. It matters. Husbands, it matters how you speak to your wife, how you treat them. That you treat them that as they are a treasure in your life, it matters. It matters when you have the opportunity to cheat and you walk away from that opportunity, even if it costs you greatly, it matters. Yeah. Because what I realize about life is that And from the text we just read, that I live every day of my life in reverence to God and in responsibility to you. This week, I I have had the privilege of sitting with my father for... Four days, three nights. As he makes his transition from this life to the next. He loves God with all of his heart. And as I read through this text, I realized that in this process for me, this has been a moment to roll up my sleeves for the hard thing. For years, my relationship with my dad was strained. For years, I didn't have him in my life, and I struggled with that. And I went and found my father when I was 18, and I've always lived with this thought, why didn't he come find me? 
And I've always struggled with this thought of what would I do at the end of his life and what would be my role with him? Can I tell you? I've dreaded this day for a long time. Because I, I didn't know what to do. And so I found myself this week, Reba was here, responsibilities here we have and she was here and I was there alone and my dad is out of his mind and he doesn't even remember me he watches church at home every Sunday morning right I got church at home on my computer a big picture of me on my computer right I froze it on my face this face right and I showed it to my dad and I said who is this he said that's my son that that preaches in there, South Carolina, and, and I watch him every Sunday morning. I said, now look at this face here. Look at this face. Doesn't it, don't they look alike? I said, kind of, but there's no way you're him. So I said the things to my dad that I need to say, and they weren't mean or cruel, and I have no, no regret But what I realize is that to live out this life that Christ has called me to live, that it sometimes it means rolling up my sleeves and doing the hard thing. I love my dad. If he passes before I get back to see him, then I've said everything that I need to say to him. And I know where he's going and there's no doubt about that. But as the preacher of the family, I always get the last word. You know that? Because I get to preach his funeral, right? Yeah. And I thought about what to say when he makes that journey. And I've written down some things to say. But I want everybody to know it's not always the easiest thing to do what God has called you to do as an exile in this world. But I'm able to do those things and you're able to do those things because of the hope that we live in today between that of what God has done for us and the hope of what he will do for us. And so what Peter says, it was for your sake. I love that, don't you? It was for your sake that he did all of these things because he loves you so much. So here on Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after Passover, on the coming of the Holy Spirit to empower you and I to live in a world to make Christ known, What an amazing day to talk about what Peter says to us, that my life is different in this world because of the Holy Spirit empowering me to live, to live in purity and faithfulness and love and kindness and gentleness in those areas of my life. And when I get it wrong, man, I live in forgiveness and I realize that I exemplify that also within my life to people in this world.
So I encourage you today to roll up your sleeves and to get ready for the hard work in your life and to make Christ known in this world. Because it may be your neighbor, your 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 person at work or whoever, or a student or your roommate or... Oh, It may be your 92-year-old father. Who you wondered why he would never come find you as a kid. But now you know your role in his life. Isn't God amazing? Isn't God amazing? I would apologize for being emotional, but I'm not going to do that. That's my heart. So bow your heads with me for a moment, if you don't mind. So God, we're here as your kids. Obedient and sometimes extremely disobedient. But God, we're not here trying to earn something that you've freely given to us. But we're living in the hope of the gospel. And the object of our hope is you will return again someday. But we're here as your exiles in this life. And God, this life is not easy, and you know that, and you've, you told us that, and you moved on your servant, Peter, to remind us of that again. So God, you know, as your children sitting here, the areas in our lives that we need to roll up our sleeves in, and we need to get to hard work. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit that is so present here this morning, that you would speak to our hearts and our lives. That what this necessitates for all of us in this room is change. And Father, there are things in this life that, that we need to push away from. And there are things in life that we need to embrace today. So Lord, help us in this moment. By the power of your spirit within our lives. To make these changes in you, God. To readjust our values and, 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 and our priorities in life. To love others around us, God, as you have loved us. To serve our spouses, God, as you have served us through the incarnation. God, to show forgiveness. Even when we don't have all the answers. And even when we don't understand everything, you always bring us to a place of purpose in our life. If we will just yield to you. 
So Lord, let this be a moment of surrender for us today. Living as exiles in a world that can be very hostile. But let us respond to hostility with love and kindness, grace and mercy, and say no when we need to say no, God. Thank you, Father, for working in our lives so powerfully by your Spirit today. And we give you thanks. In your name we pray.